morning, church. I said, good morning, church. Let's go to our God in prayer, amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our lives, God. Thank you so much, Father God, that we're able to worship you, Father God. We understand, Father God, that you determine the times and places, Father. The fact that you've elevated our worship, Father God. Why? Because we're further away from people who are closer to you. I we pray, Father God, please, Father, preach the word through me, Father God. I pray, Father, please help the word. Stay on people's hearts so they can be forced to make a decision, Father. That this is just not another Sunday, Father God, but we just hear another sermon. I pray we put the word of God into practice, Father God. Move me aside. Preach through me. We love you. Praise all your name. Amen. Amen. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. You know, I love the change of the room where God has literally uplifted our worship. You know, we requested for level 15. God's like, I want to take you to the next level. Literally to level 16. And for, it's for some reason because we've been trying to get this venue, this specific place for two years. And the fact was like, we, we paid for a cheaper one downstairs, but no, 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 no. They were like, we're going to let the lights go out so we can have the lights up here. So we can be closer to our God, amen? Yeah. It's the spirit, you know, God's taking us to the next level. Literally. No, I love the Birmingham church. Everyone in this room is a miracle. Everyone in this room is a miracle. Do you guys believe that you are miracles from God? Repeat after me, I am a miracle. I am a miracle. I am a miracle. I am a miracle. Everyone here is a miracle. Yes. The sisters are miracles. Yes. The mighty men are miracles. And of course I had to say it, my awesome fiance is a miracle. You know, this room is full of stories. Full of narratives, full of survivors, full of fighters, full of hard fighting soldiers. And nothing beats a very good story. You know, it reminds me of one of my favorite musicals, Hamilton. And what's Hamilton, do you ask? It's where an American founding father, Alexander Hamilton, and is the center of poverty and to power against the backdrop of the American War of Independence. And so, one of the songs they have in the musical is entitled, Who Lives? Who Dies? Who Tells Your Story? And so, the Atlantic Review, the, the Atlantic's review of this song is that, in Hamilton, that Hamilton is not remembered as fondly as other founding fathers. You know, his wife Angelica sings, every other founding father story gets told. Every other founding father gets to grow old. But then with Alexander Hamilton, he's not as remembered. So it got me thinking, what will be said, what stories will be told about the Birmingham church? Who lives? Who dies? Who tells your story? What are we known for? What is our narrative? What needs to change in order for us to grow? And that's what encouraged the title for today. Our only and our only point as well today. It's time to change the narrative. It's time to change the narrative. What's the meaning of narrative? 
It means a spoken or written account of connected events, or in simple terms, a story. You know, we all have a narrative, and we all share a common destiny. <laughs> yeah, there's that destiny, man. But the one we all share is that we're gonna die. So some questions to ask. What will be said about you? What legacy will you leave behind? What will continue to exist after you die? What will you have left behind? What impact will you have made? What will you be remembered for? What will remain? Whose lives would you have changed? Would you have left an impact or an impression? Would you have left a legacy or would you be a letdown? Would you be known as courageous or complacent? Will you be remembered for what you could have been? You know, one man said this, every human life contains potential. And if that potential is not fulfilled, then that life was wasted. You know, there's greatness within you that you don't even know about. Sometimes it takes pressure applied to, to expose the greatness that's within you. Did you hear that, that contribution by Marcus Garcia? He's a changed man. He's unrecognizable. But there's that, he realized that he has greatness inside of him. Did you know I hear that awesome communion by Jeffrey Ajalto? is, what is the narrative said about you? What are you known for? When are you going to make the decision to be great? What is the narrative said about the Birmingham church? What is the narrative said about the campus ministry? What is the narrative said about the singles ministry? What is, what is the narrative said about the, the women's ministry? What's the narrative said about the men's ministry? What is the narrative said about the Birmingham International Christian Church? What is the narrative? I hope you guys are with me. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 7, it says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. What does the scripture say? It says, God has given us power. God has given us the power to change the narrative. And the Greek word for power in the Greek is dunamis. Which is where we get the word dynamite. And what's dynamite? Dynamite explodes. God has given us of that which explodes. He's given us something that which is explosive. Do you believe what you have is explosive? That your relationship with God is seen as explosive. That the Birmingham church is seen as explosive. That your convictions are seen as explosive. That your example is seen as explosive. Explosive in the singing. Did you hear Kane Taylor sing? Don't even let me get started about Sophie Deering. And explosive in preaching. You know, do you believe 
What you have is explosive. Do you believe that God has given you power to blow sin out of yours and other people's lives? Because explosions are huge. How huge is your impact? How much presence do you have? When you enter the room, do people know you're there? How explosive is your influence? How explosive are you in your ministry? How explosive are your relationships? How are our friendships? Do we have explosive friendships? Because do we, but here's the other question, it begs the question, do you just have explosive emotions? How are we in our friendships? How are we as a friend? Because it's not about someone else being a friend to us. How are we as a friend? Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I know we're preaching in the book of Luke, but I feel like this, this week we're, we're taking a break from the book of Luke. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. God has put a message on my heart to preach the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in verse 4. It says in verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And the mighty burial church says, Does this describe you? Sometimes. And this is for the clock watchers out there. Love is patient. But what does the scripture highlight? We're going to focus in on what it says in verse 7. What does the scripture say? It says, it says it, love always protects. Always trusts. Let me say it again. Always trusts. So the Bible says if you don't trust, you're unloving. The Bible says if you have no hope, you give up yourself too easily. What does it highlight? You are loving. The Bible says if you don't persevere, you don't push under pressure, but run away from pressure. What does the Bible highlight about you? You are loving. How much more so as a disciple of Christ? Because it doesn't matter if we feel like we are loving. Does the Bible say you're loving? Verse 6, it says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. The scripture says, Love does not delight in evil. It doesn't play around with evil, it doesn't look for evil. The Bible says in Proverbs 11 27, Whoever seeks good finds favor, but evil comes to the one who searches for it. So if we search for impurity, you will find impurity. If you search for criticism, you will find criticism. 
You could, because we hear this, you know, we, there's a common phrase among disciples. I just fell into impurity. No, 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 no. According to the scripture, you searched for it. If you search for persecution, you'll find persecution. How about this? Even if you search for validation, all you'll see is validation. If you search for validation other than God alone, you'll get validation, but still feel the need for more. The Bible says that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. What's the truth? It's the Bible. Do you rejoice in your relationship with God? You know, if we search for evil, the Bible says we are unloving. Do you have a delight for the truth? That as a disciple of Christ, you know the truth. Do you realize what we have? We have the cure for mediocrity. Let me say that again. We have the cure for mediocrity. We have the cure for the fatherless generation. We have the cure to help men be men. We have the cure to help women be women. We have the cure to help people to reach their full potential after realizing our own. As the Bible says in Luke 3, we have to to produce fruit in keeping with our repentance as we saw last week. So in the eyes of God, what we produce proves whether we're keeping with our repentance. Yeah, have you proved your repentance by the fruit you produce? Especially this past week, after hearing it last week. Or have you proved a lack of repentance by the lack of fruit? Are we producing laziness? Are we producing criticism or quiet reservations? Because true repentance will always have fruit. True love rejoices with the truth. True love rejoices with the fact that you are saved. Let me say that again. True love rejoices with the fact that you are saved. And if you have a quiet time every morning, you'll be reminded that you are saved. We get to have quiet times. We get to pray. We get to sing out loud without getting shot in the street and persecuted for our faith just because we want to sing out to God. We get to go out in the snow. Because clearly that's what the disciples did when it snowed. You are saved. You're not looking for validation. You're not looking for acceptance. You're just rejoicing with the fact that you are saved. That you are a true, sold out disciple of Christ. So when you die, you will go to heaven. You rejoice with the truth. You don't rejoice in the fruit you have or that you don't have. You rejoice in the truth and therefore produce fruit out of the gratitude that you have for the fact that you are saved. Are we, as a Birmingham church, known for having the narrative of rejoicing with the truth? What is your reputation? Who are you influencing? Because as disciples, I believe we're all leaders. And the lesson I'm learning right now is that leadership isn't leading a group of people. Nope. Leadership is influence. Come on. Do you have influence? Do you have an explosive type of love? Taking it back to explosive right there. Are we having explosive friendships? Or are you just stone cold? Is it difficult to be or become your friend? 
Because in 1904, a Chinese atheist scientist invented the term extrovert and introvert. So if you say, I'm an introvert, or I'm an extrovert, you're following the teachings of a Chinese scientist atheist. I tell you the truth, keeping to yourself is selfish. According to the Bible, it's discord. Causing division in a room. You have everyone in fellowship, but you're just there standing on your own. Not talking to anybody. No presence. And it's not only that, it's not only discord. Being an introvert, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3. Like, actually, let's actually turn there. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. What's, what is the Bible's view of being an introvert? 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's see what the Bible says about it. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. It says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will. So it's a guarantee. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud. So proud, there's two prides. There's being insecure, which is you think too lowly of yourself, or there's the high form of pride where you think too much of yourself. It's not just that I think too much of myself, pride, it's both. Proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Only when it doesn't contradict the word of God, amen? Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, holding grudges all the time. Slanderers, talking about each other behind each other's back. Without self-control. You eat too much. You sleep too much. Brutal. Not lovers of the good. Treacherous. Rash. Conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying his power have nothing to do with such people. Let me bring your attention here because again, remember the New Testament is written in Greek. The word in verse 3 where it says without love. This is the second sin list. This is more character sins of the heart. The word without love in the Greek means without natural affection. It actually means unsociable in the Greek. So the Bible says here that there will come a time where people will become unsociable. Where they'll be, dare we say, introverts. But according to the scripture, it says have nothing to do with such people because it's classed as sin. So being unsociable, not sharing your faith because you're insecure, or you don't know how to talk to someone, mm-hmm. and therefore not setting up any studies, even being afraid of confrontation, and just want to maintain a friendship because of fear of ruining the relationship. Mm-hmm. According to the scripture, being unsociable is sin. Mm-hmm. And in other translations, being an introvert, keeping yourself to yourself, it's called in the RSV version, it's called being inhuman. So when you say you're an introvert, or I don't know how to talk to, or I just, I'm, I'm sh- you're basically saying I'm not human. <laughs> Being introvert is sin. Come on, bro. There's only discipleship. The only reason why you keep yourself to yourself is because you haven't spent enough time with the Holy Spirit to see that your needs are not as great as the needs around you. Question to ask, are you a stranger? Do we know where you are? Do we know where you're at spiritually? Do we actually know? Do we actually know your financial situation? Do we know? Because we're a family. Right. We're a family, right? Yeah. So we're transparent. As disciples, we're family. 
Or are you just going to see a random woman that you said that you wouldn't talk to and then you're going again? Oh. After you just got a rebuke. And then deceiving the brothers, thinking that's okay to see do this. Are we able to be transparent? When was the last time you were in a study? Or even better, if, when was the last time you had a study? It's just being honest. Are we transparent with our sacrifices to God? It's going back to me that some disciples haven't given to God on multiple occasions. I don't even want to say some at the start of the year. Since the start of the year, rather. Not giving multiple times in a row and not feeling guilty about it. You know, the Bible does say in Hebrews 9 verse 7, only the high priest entered the inner room and that only once a year and never without blood. Which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that had committed in ignorance. You know, the high priest came before God never without a sacrifice. Now, Jesus, the high priest, we go to him. We don't need the temple to sacrifice for our sins. But now in the New Testament, we are the mediators between God and the lost world. But the principle was that the high priest, the mediator between the lost world and God, never came before God without blood, without a sacrifice. The priest never came to God without a sacrifice. You do realize that God doesn't need your money. It's already his. Yet giving surfaces your heart. Whether you trust God. God or not. Mm-hmm. I tell you the truth. It doesn't matter if we sound like a disciple. Mm-hmm. Act like a disciple. Show up to the meetings acting like a disciple. According to scriptures, we know it says that you are under a curse. According to Malachi chapter 3. You are robbing God. And he cannot be mocked. God always exposes sin. So you think you're like, I can hide my sin but not for long, because God cannot be mocked. Are you completely transparent about sin? Because sin always ends up coming up. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. It takes so much pride to think that one can outsmart God. You know, we can try and fool one another. We can act nice, but not sacrifice for God. You know, we can be here for friendships. You can be here for friendships. But what's the point if we're not here for God? The Bible says it always exposes sin. God always exposes sin. And, everyone, and I believe everyone believes in giving. Why? We subscribe to Netflix. We subscribe to gym passes. To Odeon passes. We subscribe to these things. But God... Have you lost a subscription today? Have you stopped paying and you started creating debt with God again? Joshua chapter 7, the sin of Achan, because of his hidden sin, the battle of Ai was lost. This sin could be the reason why we are not winning souls for Christ. And you may be the reason. Turn our Bibles back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. However, I want to encourage you today that there is always a hope to change the narrative. Verse 7, amen. Let's read verse 7. It says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, 
but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The Spirit highlights that it's God that gives us the power. He's the one who gives us the power. So we can say, I've got the power. God gives us the power. God gives us the power to love. Because remember, what was love? According to 1 Corinthians 13, trust. So God is the one that gives you the power to trust. God is the one who gives you the power to hope, to persevere. He gives us that power. Brothers and sisters, do you believe the power we have been given by God can demolish your doubts? No, no, no. I said, brothers and sisters, do you believe the power we have been given by God can demolish your doubts? Do you believe the power you've been administered to by God can extinguish your excuses? Do you believe the power we have been given by God can eliminate your laziness? Do you believe the power of God that has been given by God can destroy mediocrity? Because the scripture states it's the spirit that makes us no longer timid. It's the spirit that gives us power. It's the spirit that makes us loving. It's the spirit that makes us self-disciplined. Without God, we are timid. Without God, we have no power. Without God, we have no love, no discipline. We have no impact. Because it says the spirit of God does not make us timid. The meaning of timid means timidity, fearfulness, and cowardice. So without God, we are cowards. And a coward is a person who completely lacking in courage to do or endure dangerous or unpleasant things. What does this look like as a disciple? Not liking pressure. Never confessing sin. Hiding from disciples. Never getting advice. Never in studies. Late to meetings. Leaving straight after. Never going to disciple. You know, we sometimes see them at the meetings of the body, but rarely outside of the meetings of the body even justifying missing meetings of the body. Because I love what Marcus shared. Luke saw seek the kingdom, not seek comfortability or excuses. Or, because the, kingdom is not, the, church, the kingdom is not revolving around you. Your life revolves around God. So if you're questioning I'm, why I'm still stuck in the same place, it's because probably you're not. God is not the center point of your life. Because the only thing that makes us timid and quiet Sin. sin made Adam and Eve hide sin made Cain quiet he didn't respond to God sin made Achan hide sin made Saul go insane sin made Peter a coward and sin made Judas take his own life without God we are unloving When we are with ourselves, when we're keeping ourselves to ourselves, we are without God. How are our quiet times? Because it's our quiet times with God that will sustain us. It's our quiet times with God that will give us power, that will give us security, transparency, honesty, integrity, and self-discipline. When we prioritize our quiet times, we'll no longer struggle with sin. We'll no longer struggle with porn or masturbation. You'll no longer be able to struggle with bitterness and laziness. You know, I believe the deadliest virus known to man is laziness. Before God allowed Adam to get married, 
He gave him work. So a man who does not work cannot have the capacity to date. Say it again. My brother. But what did God give Adam before he worked? A relationship with him. So we cannot work unless we have a relationship with God. We cannot make disciples unless we have a relationship with God. You know, we live in a time where work is above our worship. Or working out my relationship status. Or working out how I feel. How is your relationship with God? How are your times with God? Because in the end, it's all about your relationship with God. Our rehearsal on earth is just it's rehearsal for heaven. You're just worshipping God. Heaven is just one long, big, quiet time. Because it's about being prayerful men and women. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a disciple who worships God. What we're doing is not producing disciples, but sold out disciples of God. Willing to go anywhere, do anything, and give up everything for the gospel. You know, I want to share a story about the Burnt Oak household. We were called the Burnt Oak Cops, Company of Prophets. Before Company of Prophets was actually named in the movement, amen? And so what was powerful is that this household was also named the husband factory. And who was living in that household, you may ask? You had Luke Snow. You had Paul Bussari. You had Zabeji. You had Dominic. And you But when I moved in, all four of these guys were in ministry. I was not. And so, what was powerful was that I remember asking them, hey guys, can I go to Bible school leaders meeting? Please? They said, no. You can't. And I remember going home, sad, crying. I was like, man, I feel left out. I literally met, like, I literally felt FOMO. I felt left out. I remember coming home, like, every day, just coming from work, alone, and then just quiet because all the guys were teaching Bible studies and I came home late um, never went on dates because I was working on Saturdays brothers don't do that brothers you should take your sisters on dates every week but sisters could also ask brothers on dates too that's how it works in the kingdom and so I was in this house and so in 2019 I remember being this close to falling away this close because I was just working full time my quiet times I wasn't giving my whole heart I remember this one time we had a family time. And I remember just, for our first family time, we confessed sin. And I remember when it got to me, I was the last guy to share. I said, guys, I feel left out. And I burst out in tears. And one of the brothers put his arm on my, sh- on my shoulder and said, you're not leaving this house, not becoming a leader. And so from that day, I made a decision. And, I, I, and this is the thing. I believe that God determines times and places for me to be in this house. What ends up happening? I made a decision that day. In 2020, I focused only on my relationship with God. I'll be honest, guys. This was the first time I was like, I'm not focusing on interest. This was the very, like, I was like, nothing. Zilch. And who who, who did I meet that same month? Sula. Sula Chan. What ended up happening? He got baptized a month later. And then I got invited to the staff for the very first time. Wow. Coronavirus hits. 
And then God put a dream on my heart to move up to Birmingham to help Frank. Come on. Why? Because I had, I had, it was the year of vision in 2020. I was like, I want to go to Leeds. And the closest church to Leeds was Birmingham. I remember even having a conversation with Christine. Steph came down for the first time. I remember Janelle came down as well. I remember having a conversation with Christine saying, hey, you may need to move up to Birmingham. And so I kept praying and praying and praying until it was answered. I remember getting a text message. I remember receiving a text message. It, was, it said, I, I remember, I, I, I messaged Michael. I was like, hey, I have the dream to move up to Birmingham to help Frank. And then, of course, a few, weeks, a few days later, it was his birthday. So I just created him happy birthday, a long paragraph. And all I got was, are you ready to move to Birmingham to help Frank? <laughs> and I wrote, no. But I didn't send it. Because I was panicking. I was like, man, this is actually happening. And so I went to bed. I was like, I'll sleep on it. I woke up 15 minutes later. Yeah, just 15 minutes later. And then I prayed. And I said, here am I. Send me. When am I going? And in June 2020, I moved up to Birmingham to help her. But this prayer was for six months straight. Praying to move to Birmingham. And of course I wanted to leave the church in Leeds. Leeds was the focus. But God was like, let me redirect you. Maybe your dream is just to lead. Because what ended up happening is none of us are in that house anymore. None of us. Where are we right now? Luke Snow is now leading. He's still leading the North region. Now, appointed evangelist now as a kid in the States to lead the Ireland mission team. Yeah, Paul Basari, who was the AMS leader at the time, moved to the East region to then revive. Now he, that's one of the most fruitful regions in London. Now appointed evangelist of the GLC, has a wife and a kid. Then what, what do we see? We see Demeji, slated to do great things. He was leading the teens, and the teens are like triple now. Massive, and he slated to get married in June. Yeah, Dominic, now my brother-in-law. Yes, he's, he's married to my twin sister. And so what happened is that they were leading cyber. He got appointed cyber evangelist. She got appointed women's ministry leader, cyber women's ministry leader at EMC 2021. Now they're both leading the South region. Amen. And then there's me. Absolutely. Leading the Birmingham church. Amen. You cannot tell me that God does not believe in changing the narrative. And what was the secret? It was all about Worship. Because it got to the point where all of us were up at 5 a.m. And there was a park near our house. And all of us were just praying at the park at the same time. Different places. You saw Luke in one corner singing his heart out, creative, singing all these new songs. Right? You saw Paul never fail to cry in a prayer. He was always crying. You had Demeji and Dom praying together. And of course, we would just switch up and so on and so forth. And we built such a synergy. We built such a deep synergy in that house. Deep sin. That was a godly household. That became Noah's Ark for the quarantine because that's where we filmed all our services. I tell you the truth, we were the only church that was open throughout the whole coronavirus. All of us praying, all over the park, in different places, on our knees, getting our, our feet wet, muddy, going into the just praying, worshiping, going crazy for God, being explosive for God, shouting, losing our voices. It was all about worship. And even that one point when, of course, Abhishek was studying the Bible. Sulacham was studying, the, of course, he, he moved in as well. And they had Pablo. They all moved into our house. And that, even at one point, there were eight brothers at the gym at the same time. After our worship, we were just all united. There was no space for any of us because our gym was tiny. But we all had the same work ethic. 
as one another. Why? Because we were one in the spirit. We were one in the spirit. You know, imagine the Birmingham church where we're all one in the spirit. Where every single person just worships God. Imagine a church full of leaders. All fully sold out to the gospel. Sold out to go anywhere, do anything, and give up everything for the gospel. And two sisters believe in giving up everything, going anywhere and doing anything for the gospel. Well, Annette will be moving to London in the next few weeks, and Christine will be moving to Ghana at the start of April. The last Sunday will be the first week of April, so prepare your hearts, amen. Amen. Hey. They are pillars of the Birmingham church. Absolutely. They were here in the very beginning. A lot of us would not be here without their faith. So they are commended. We cannot forget what they've done here in Birmingham. The Spirit just knows it's time for them to, just, to, to go so we can grow. And that they can grow on the foreign mission field. Because the Bible says in John 3 verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it's with everyone born with the Spirit. So when we have the Holy Spirit, it blows us in different directions. It enforces the narrative to change. Changes are good. Yet when someone doesn't want to move, they resist the Spirit. When the wind blows you to a different BT, Bible talk, or discipler, it's not of people. It's of God. When the wind blows you to different discipling or different places, different churches, different foreign mission fields, it's not of people. It's of God, because God knows that you have the necessary means to save people in that place, in that designated place, that if you don't move, people will not be saved. Because I I, I want to commend our father in the faith, Frank. If he did not move from South Africa, he would have not taught me the Bible. And I I wouldn't even be here today. I owe my life to him. And he didn't give up on me. Don't ever give up on people. And don't just see that when the Spirit moves you somewhere, just, just move, just keep in step with the Spirit. God is changing our narrative here in Birmingham. Amen. Which means with that, for all disciples, this is a call higher. Come on. Where we all have to go down roads we've never been before. But just imagine the Birmingham church where every single disciple in this room has a Bible study every single week. Just imagine the Birmingham church at the point of weekly additions. It's time to change the narrative in the Birmingham church. I'll bring it for a close. It's time to change the narrative in the singles ministry. Let's aim to get 50K to 100K jobs this year. It's not unbiblical to aim high. Joseph of Arimathea was rich, yet he was still a disciple. Let's get to the point of self-funding. When Parkway just want us here. That, that, that they come, why? Because we, we, we're, we're breaking the ice here in central Birmingham. We're right next to Broad Street. Why? Because the light shines brightest where it's darkest. God wants us here. There's a reason why he lifted up our spirits here today. It's time to change the narrative in the singles ministry where the singles inspire the campus that get even cranking jobs. Where the singles pay for their single mission. Their missions. But they're they're like, hey, I'll I'll, I'll help you out with yours. Where we become self-funding. Amsterdam is (laughs) self-funding. Edinburgh is self-funding. Paris is self-funding. Just imagine the Birmingham church self-funding. It's time to change the narrative in the campus ministry. 
Where the camp, with the campus, are the campus with me? Yeah. Where the campus students are baptizing campus students. Where every student has their study and a degree. Where they crank their degree. No, no, where they crank their degree. Where they aim for firsts. No, no, where they aim for firsts. Because so man thinketh so he is. You are a first class degree disciple. It's time to change the narrative in the teens ministry. Where teens are baptizing teens. I'm so inspired by our international church. 91 teens. In one ministry. Just imagine in Birmingham. It's time to change the narrative. It's time to change the narrative in Birmingham. The challenge is simple. And this is the only challenge I give you. And it was the same challenge I was given when I asked my disciple for advice. My disciple for advice when I was in the Burnt Oak household. And the truth of the matter is, the focus is only your relationship with God. With God. The first thing you do in the morning. Before our phones. Before our work in university. Before gym. Before breakfast. And it starts by imitating Jesus. Mark 1.35 says Jesus got up while it was still dark. He left the house early. So it's biblical to leave your house early to worship God. This week, I called the men's ministry to do this on Wednesday. Aside if you need to get up earlier, I know some work night shifts, so we can work around that. But everyone needs to get, wake up. No, no, not even wake up. Get up at 6 a.m. Every single day. And the men have been cranking it. But we keep one another accountable. If someone isn't awake, wake them up. It's time to focus on being cranking, sold out disciples who get up early to worship God. It's time to make noise in Birmingham. It's time to get loud. Like, what is these guys pre- like praying out loud in this? What, what is going on? There's a bunch of guys just praying out loud in the. Yeah, we're gonna make a step. We're impact. God has given us power and impact. Let's pray together. Set up quiet times together. Worship together. And that way you'll be able to give to God. To be able to be self-disciplined. To be able to share your faith. To be able to be transparent. It all starts with our relationship with God. Our Our public battles are won in private. It's time to change the narrative here in the Birmingham Church. I love you and to God be all the glory.